0: Right. So the the kind of things that they're discussing there are are two things. They're talking about filtering of ingest, which means when the NSA puts a secret server in a German telecommunications provider or they hack a German router and they divert the traffic um, in a manner that lets them search through things, they're saying, if I see what I think is a German talking to another German, I'll drop it. But how do you know? Uh, you could say, well, these people are speaking the German language. Uh, this IP address seems to be from a German company to another German company, but that's not accurate and they wouldn't dump all of that traffic because they'll get people uh, who are targets of interest, who are actively in Germany using German communications. So realistically, what's happening is when they say there's no spying on Germans, they don't mean that German data isn't being gathered. They don't mean that records aren't being taken or stolen. What they mean is that they're not intentionally searching for German citizens. And that's sort of a, a, a fingers crossed behind the back promise. It's not reliable.
1: What's about other European countries like Norway and Sweden, for example, because we have a lot of, I think, underwater cables going through the Baltic Sea. So
0: this is a uh, sort of an expansion of the same idea. If the NSA isn't collecting information on German citizens in Germany. Are they as soon as it leaves German borders? And the answer is yes. Any single communication that transits the internet, the NSA may intercept at multiple points. Uh, They might see it in Germany. They might see it in Sweden. They might see it in Norway or Finland. They might see it in Britain. And they might see it in the United States any single one of these places that a German communication crosses, it'll be ingested and added to the database.
1: So let's come to our Southern European neighbors then. What's about Italy? What's about France? What's about Spain? Uh, (laughs) It's the same deal worldwide. Does the NSA spy on Siemens, on Mercedes, on other successful German companies, for example, to prevail to have the advantage of knowing what is going on in the scientific and the economic world?
0: I don't want to preempt the editorial decisions of journalists, uh, Okay. but what I will say is there's no question that the U.S. is engaged in economic spying. If there's information at Siemens that they think would be beneficial to the national interests, not the national security of the United States, they'll go after that information and they'll take it.
1: There is this old saying, you do whatever you can do. So the
0: NSA is doing whatever is technically possible. This is something that uh, the president touched on last year where he said just because we can do something, and this was in relation to tapping Angela Merkel's phone, just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should. Uh, And that's exactly what's happened. The technological capabilities that have been provided because of sort of weak security standards in internet protocols and cellular communications uh, networks, have meant that intelligence services can create systems that see everything.
1: Nothing annoyed the German government more than the fact that the NSA taped the private phone of the German Chancellor Merkel over the last 10 years, obviously. Suddenly, this invisible surveillance was connected with a known face and was not connected with a kind of watery, shady terrorist background. Obama now promised to stop snooping on Merkel, which raises the question did the NSA tape already pre- uh, previous governments in Germany, previous chancellors, and when did they do that and how long did they do this for?
0: This is a. This is a particularly difficult question for me to answer because there's information that I very strongly believe is in the public interest. Uh, however, as I've said before, I prefer for journalists to make those decisions uh, in advance, review the material themselves, and, and decide whether or not the public value of this information outweighs the the sort of reputational cost to the officials that ordered the surveillance. What I can say is we know Angela Merkel. Was monitored by the National Security Agency. The question is how reasonable is it to assume that she is the only German official that was monitored? How reasonable is it to believe that she's the only prominent German face uh, who the National Security Agency was watching? I would suggest it seems unreasonable that if anyone was concerned about the intentions of German leadership that they would only watch Merkel and not her aides, um, not other prominent officials, not heads of ministries, uh, or even local government officials. How does a young man
1: from Elizabeth City in North Carolina, 30 years old, get in such a position in such a sensitive area?
0: That's a very difficult question to answer. in general, uh, I would say it highlights the dangers of privatizing government functions. Uh, I worked previously as an actual staff officer, a, a government employee for the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, but I've also served uh, much more frequently as a contractor in a private capacity. What that means is you have private for Profit companies uh, doing inherently governmental work, like uh, targeted espionage, surveillance, compromising foreign systems. And uh, anyone who has the skills, uh, who can convince a private company that they have the qualifications to do so, will be empowered by the government to do that. Um, and there's very little oversight. There's very little
1: review. Have you been one of these classical computer kids, sitting red-eyed during the nights in the age of twelve, fifteen, and your father was knocking on your door and saying, you switch off the light, it's too late now. Did you get your computer skills from that side, or how
0: did it work? Uh, when did you get your first computer <laughs> Right. Right, uh, I, I definitely have had a, uh, shall we say, a, a deep, informal education. Uh, in computers and electronic technology. They've always been fascinating and interesting to me. Uh, (laughs) The characterization of having your parents telling you to go to bed, I would say is fair. If one looks to
1: the little public data of your life, one discovers that You obviously wanted to join in May 2004 the special forces to fight in Iraq. What did motivate you at the time? You know, special forces looking at you in the very moment means grim fighting and it means probably killing and
0: Did you ever get to Iraq? Uh, No, I didn't get to Iraq. Uh, One of the interesting things about these special forces uh, are that they're not actually intended for direct combat. They're what's referred to as a force multiplier. They're inserted behind enemy lines. Uh, It's a squad that has a number of different specialties in it. And they teach and enable the local population to resist or to support U.S. forces uh, in a way that allows the local population a chance to help determine their own destiny. And I felt that was an inherently noble thing at the time. In hindsight, some of the reasons that we went into Iraq were not well founded, and, and I think did a disservice to everyone involved.
1: What happened to your adventure then? Did you stay long with them, or what happened to you? No,
0: I, I broke my legs when I was in
1: training and was discharged. So it was a short adventure, in it's a short words. adventure. In 2007, the CIA stationed you with a diplomatic cover in Geneva, in Switzerland. Why did you join the CIA, by the way? I don't think I can actually answer that one. OK, if it's what you have been doing there, forget it. But why did you join the CIA?
0: In many ways, I think it's a continuation of trying to do everything I could uh, to prosecute the public good in the most effective way and it's in line with the rest of my government service uh, where I tried to use my technical skills uh, in the most difficult positions uh, I could find in the world and the CIA offered that.
1: If we look back, Special Forces, CIA, NSA, it's not actually the description of a human rights activist or somebody who becomes a whistleblower afterwards. What happens to you? I
0: think it tells a story. Uh, and that's no matter how deeply an individual is embedded in the government, uh, no matter how uh, faithful to the government they are, uh, no matter how strongly they believe in the causes of their government, as I did during the Iraq War, um, People can learn, uh, people can discover the line between appropriate government behavior and actual wrongdoing. And I think it became clear to me that that line had been crossed. You
1: worked for the NSA through a private contractor with the name Boost Allen Hamilton, one of the big ones in the business. What is the advantage for the US government or the CIA to work through a private contractor to outsource
0: a central government function? Contracting culture of the national security community in the United States is a complex topic. Uh, it's driven by a number of interests uh, between primarily limiting the number of direct government employees at the same time as keeping lobbying groups in Congress uh, typically from uh, very well-funded businesses such as Booz Allen Hamilton. The problem there is you end up in a situation where government policies are being influenced by private corporations who have interests that are completely divorced from the public good in mind. The result of that is what we saw at Booz Allen Hamilton, where you have private individuals who have access to what the government alleges were millions and millions of uh, records that they could walk out the door with at any time with no accountability, no oversight, no auditing. The government didn't even know they were gone. At the
1: very end, you ended up in Russia. Many of the intelligence community suspect
0: you made a deal, classified material for asylum
1: here in Russia.
0: The chief of the task force investigating me uh, as recently as December said that their investigation had turned up no evidence or indications at all that I had any outside help or contact or had made a deal of any kind. to accomplish my mission. I worked alone, Uh, I didn't need anybody's help. Uh, I don't have any ties to to foreign governments. I'm not a spy for Russia or China or or any other country for that matter. Uh, If I'm a traitor, who did I betray? I gave all of my information to the American public, to American journalists who are reporting on American issues. If they see that as treason, I think people really need to consider who do they think they're working for. The public is supposed to be their boss, not their enemy. Beyond that, uh, as far as my personal safety, I'll never be fully safe until these systems have changed. After your revelations, none of the
1: European countries really offered you asylum. Where did you apply in Europe for asylum? Uh,
0: I can't remember the list of countries with any specificity, uh, because there were many of them. But France Germany were definitely in there, as was the UK. Uh, A number of European countries, uh, all of whom, unfortunately, felt that doing the right thing was uh, less important than supporting U.S. political concerns.
1: One reaction to the NSA snooping is in the very moment that countries like Germany are thinking to create national internets an attempt to force internet companies to keep their data in their own country.
0: Does this work? It's not gonna stop the NSA, let's put it that way. Um, The NSA goes where the data is. If the NSA can pull text messages out of telecommunication networks in China, they can probably manage to get Facebook messages out of Germany. Uh, Ultimately, the solution to that is not to try to stick everything in a walled garden, uh, although that does uh, raise the level of sophistication and complexity of taking the information. It's also much better simply to secure the information internationally against everyone, rather than playing, let's move the data. Moving the data isn't fixing the problem. Securing the data is the problem. President Obama, in the
1: very moment, obviously doesn't care too much about the message of the leak. And together with the NSA, they do care very much more about catching the messenger in that context. Obama asked the Russian president several times to extradite you, but did not. It looks that you will stay till the rest of your life probably in Russia. How do you feel about Russia in that context? And is there a solution to this
0: problem? I think it's becoming increasingly clear that these leaks didn't cause harm. In fact, they serve the public good. Because of that, I think it'll be very difficult to maintain sort of an ongoing campaign of persecution against someone who the public agrees uh, serves the public interest. The New York Times wrote a very long comment
1: and demanded clemency for you. The headline, Edward Snowden whistleblower, and I quote from that. The public learned in great detail how the agency extended its mandate and abused its authority and the New York Times closes. President Obama should tell his aides to begin finding a way to end Mr. Snowden's vilification and give him an incentive to return home. Did you get a call in between from the White House?
0: (laughs) I've never received a call from the White House and I'm uh, not waiting by the phone. But I would welcome uh, the opportunity to talk about how we can bring this uh, to a conclusion that serves the interests of all parties. I think it's clear there are times where what is lawful is distinct from what is rightful. Uh, There are times throughout history, and it doesn't take long for either an American or a German, to think about times in the history of their country where the law provided the government to do things which were not right. President Obama
1: obviously is, in the very moment, not quite convinced of that, because he said to you, you are charged with three felonies. And I quote, if you, Edward Snowden, believe in what you did, you should go back to America. Appear before the court with a lawyer and make your case.
0: Is this the solution? It's interesting because he mentions three felonies. What he doesn't say is that the crimes that he's charged me with Uh, are crimes that don't allow me to make my case. They don't allow me to defend myself in an open court to the public uh, and convince a jury that what I did was to their benefit. Uh, The Espionage Act uh, was never intended. It's from 1918. It was never intended uh, to prosecute journalistic sources, people who are informing the newspapers, uh, about information that's of public interest. It was intended for people who are selling documents in secret to, to foreign governments, uh, who are bombing bridges, who are sabotaging uh, communications, not people who are serving the public good. So it's, I would say, uh, illustrative that the president would choose to say someone should face the music when he knows the music is a show trial.
1: Edward Snowden, thank you very much for the interview.
0: Thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
3: Judge, 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 judge. Say they're breaking down on a camel's back Just have to go there, but you don't know where. I know you feel the stress, it's just a feeling to me But you won't get out of county kitchen you damn ass free you Got a new horizon, it's ephemeral style A melancholy town where we never smile Windmill, windmill for the land.
2: Talk a little time. shit, I'm stepping in harder this year Can't yeah, repping harder this year Watch me as a navigator ha, 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 ha. we gon' ghost town, it's to town with your sound You in the blink, don't bite the dust, can't fight with us With your sound, you kill the ink, so don't stop Get it, get it, yeah. play your captain's here steady. watch me navigate, ha, 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 ha.
4: And mayhem And all the mystery around the world Another strange week In land. We'll be back next time If you want to get a hold of me Email me thestranger at earthling.net With your news uh, Interview ideas, music, whatever you have Whatever, it's fine We'll do a theme show, whatever And remember to uh, get involved here at the station You can be a DJ uh, You can put up your art You can do all kinds of stuff We're doing all kinds of cool things So get involved miniradio.fm and uh thank you so much love you guys and i got uh of course that was gorillas we just listened to we're gonna hear a little ma Rainey, taking it back old school and uh very 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 old school and um i'll see you next week because remember it isn't tomorrow if you haven't slept yet good night
5: Boy, Did you hear that? Okay. That uh, you can
4: come
5: here for
2: a second. Come here. Welcome to Woe Wednesday. How y'all party people doing? I'm your hostess with the mostest Aisha Birdsong. And basically, Christmas is over. Hallelujah. Let's keep that part real. Family times are good.
4: sound is mutiny radio listeners my mutineers i am back because two jobs hospital bills no insurance the state that can't keep me down i'm here and we're going to talk about that kind of thing and how how hard it is for all of you working here and in the world today and i've been gone for a while but We're going to bring it back in style. If I have any new listeners, I'm going to tell you what we're all about here in a minute. But as usual, we start with In the Hall of the Mountain King. This particular version is by the Marimba Bells because you are tuned in to Mutiny Radio. And this is The Stranger in a Strange Land. If you want to call up, the phone number is 415 511 that's 415 511 and I have some news, current events from around the world here in these fine United States, and yes, some politics for you, so stay tuned, some great music as well. The Stranger in a Strange Land on Mutiny. beautiful, imitable Nina Simone, and, uh, actually some Miles Davis, though, it is a, a remix, it's, uh, gonna be some fun stuff here, I, so, I, I realize, when I look at the stats, as we are in this new year here, firmly embedded into 2014, I have, uh, new listeners, I have, it's grown, and, uh, there's a different kind of audience that listens to this show, um... And different people come to it. I know uh, people are into the politics, so we're not going to give up on that and the current events that we update you with. But also, people kind of like the theme shows that I do every once in a while, and, and they'll come after the fact and listen to those. So we'll have some of those this year too. Um, but of course, yes, those politics. And uh, since I haven't been here for a while, I mean, there's a lot to cover. Of course, the State of the Union address uh, <laughs> didn't really say anything controversial to upset anyone. I mean, he. <laughs> Apparently, he's going to give a pass to everyone between uh, the financial titans of Wall Street and, um, you know, it, dictators around the world and the Republicans. didn't It really, wasn't really hard on anyone. And uh, just continuing to make weak proposals, weak sauce proposals. Hey, he's going to raise that minimum wage to $10.10 and only for federal workers only federal contract workers and actually not any of the current contracts only ones that are renewed only new ones so starting from when he made that proposal that's excluding a lot of people actually um he did announce new fuel efficiency standards for trucks to combat climate change he you know of course said that climate change is a fact the debate is settled thank god that someone in washington dc acknowledges scientific fact that's That's refreshing, I guess. I mean, it's bold, I want to say. He's ordered his administration to partner with cities and states to shift towards cleaner energy. He's kind of had a balanced idea of clean energy, including a lot of dirty energy, so... Not going to give him too much credit on that. Launching four new manufacturing institutes this year and uh, creating the starter savings accounts for workers with no 401ks or IRAs for retirement, asking uh, CEOs to come up with best practices to help the long-term unemployed. Because if there's one group of people who really care about the unemployed, it's CEOs, right? Because they, they've been there. Uh, he wants to partner with tech companies to improve web connectivity in schools. Uh, I got nothing to criticize about that, good friend. Of course, if there's any group of people who can criticize him over any little thing, it's Republicans. Um, he pretty much let them off the hook in his State of the Union, and, uh, uh, Representative Steve Stockman, who got up and walked out halfway through the address, so didn't even pay attention to what he was saying, later asked, His uh, constituents on Twitter. Should I impeach Obama? Hmm. No reason. No particular thing. Just should I do it? Should I? Do you guys like that? You guys love it, don't you? Aren't I a darling? Well, uh, on immigration, of course, we know the Republicans are kicking that can down the road. And so did Obama in his speech and probably the rest of the year. He failed to address the roots of income inequality and uh, also this immigration kerfuffle. Of course, we should note we're unhappy with the Obama administration, not for the same kooky, crazy reasons that the leadership on the right, Uh, claim to be, even though they're disingenuous. But we actually have real reasons. Um, Speaking of immigration, his administration has deported nearly 2 million undocumented immigrants. Uh, That it would be, I believe, more than his predecessor. Obama's coziness with and failure to regulate or punish fraud from the big banks. Uh, His education reform, quote unquote, just gives, you know, Gives it over to the corporate privatization, which is not more efficacious. Obama's call to ramp up and embrace our now pervasive surveillance state, his hypocrisy about drone warfare and uh, dedication to state secrets. uh, Just all of those, far and beyond previous presidents. He's just gone further right on some of those things and uh, attempted to ram through corporate loving, population harming, trans-Pacific partnerships in secret. Uh, we've talked about that before in the show, and we will in the future. His failure to do much about the racist drug war and discriminatory sentencing—it was a, a mild relief to know that um, they have found one discrepancy. The whole, uh, Eric Holder uh, and Obama, and they've they've started to bridge some of those gaps, but still a lot to be done. And. Um, Counterproductive energy policy Huge expansion The number of countries We're fighting secret wars And with special ops um, in, in 2013 alone Elite U.S. forces were deployed In 134 countries around the globe 123% increase During uh, the Obama years And it just, just demonstrates How, you know, all this CIA, The CIO drone campaign uh, Extensive spying All this is just Projection of machismo and the American empire is just continuing to grow. Um, Of course, you won't hear these criticisms come from Republican leadership, not for real factors, because the villainous GOP leaders are more than happy. To agree with him on that. Destroy the environment, kill American citizens, steal from the poor to feed the rich, spy on you. They have to, in fact, there's very little that they actually genuinely disagree with him on. They have to make up stupid shit to criticize the president for because he's on their side more often than not. Well, Americans aren't really falling for it. In a recent poll, uh, Democrats are seen as more willing to cross the aisle and uh, partner with Republicans, and Republicans are more extreme, more willing to work with the other party. Uh, Americans said the Democratic Party 62%, Republicans only 27%. I'm surprised it's that high. Uh, One of the most obstinate Congresses we've had uh, since they've been taking records on it. And um, who's more concerned with the needs of the people? Well, 32% Republicans and 52% Democrats, I don't think either of them really are. So, uh, I guess that's a kind of fair uh, (laughs) judgment. Um, Is more extreme in its positions, Republican Party 54%, so over half, and Democrats 35, and is more influenced by lobbyists, 47% to Republicans and 30% to Democrats. Um, Neither were found to be very ethical, and uh, neither were found to really be able to manage the federal government. And people were kind of split on who could do the job. Because when you ask Americans, should we just vote them all out, regardless of the party, they agree. That's when you need to do it. But one party is clearly seen as more extreme. And uh, they have a they have a brilliant alternative to Obamacare, which is just anything else. They want Americans to let the insurance companies go back in unfettered, no regulation, pre-existing conditions, all that stuff. Um, you should pay more. You should get less out of your out of it. In fact, uh, when they criticize the president and say, "Oh well, you know, people are losing their health care plans that they like," and he lied about that. It's like, yeah, they're losing their shitty health care plans. Revealing that Republicans would love for you to have shitty health care. It's like, oh, you don't get to keep the shitty health care that we want you to have. He's going to get you something better for cheaper. And they were criticizing him for, you know, the website having snafus and outages and people temporarily losing coverage while they were transitioning. Now, that kind of paint—those are valid arguments, except it paints the Republicans into a corner because of their profiteer, predatory-based, ass plan from the Stone Age or the days of serfdom, at least, there'd be a lot more of that. So, if they were to implement their plan, they've set up all the arguments against it already. Good thinking there. And this is the thing. It's all about good thinking. I'm not telling you that the Democrats are right or the Republicans are right. And I don't want you to go on the show and be rah-rah, our side, horse race politics because that's stupid and distracting. I want you to employ your critical thinking skills that as an advanced hominid, you have. Don't trust the left or right just because they're left or right. Democrats and other so-called lefties, by the way, keep shifting further to the right, supporting things like apartheid. So you should use your critical thinking, your skepticism and the Socratic method to inspect the world around you. If that happens to land you in a political camp afterwards, then so be it. Look, I don't wanna attack people I disagree with a little bit on something uh, such as the economy or owning guns or practicing your religion. I'm not gonna attack you on that. I think that once we acknowledge that to a lot of these arguments there are bounds of reason, then we can decide where the line is on things like regulation or background checks for guns or things. I mean, we can decide that there are bounds of reason and then have a debate that's realistic. I have no interest in just completely demonizing your side and anyone who claims that's the case is lying to you. Now, some things are very wrong with this country, clearly, and getting worse. Uh, for example, here in this beautiful town of San Francisco, where Mutiny Radio is located, um, we are seeing an influx of the super-rich and an exodus, or gentrification, of the poor and middle class, and, uh, the city is becoming a little less liberal. The once iconic liberal American city is, uh, soon emerging as a conservative haven for the libertarian rich. Now, I'm not talking about civil libertarian. I'm talking about tax-evading libertarian. Uh, I I mean, there's attacks on our democracy all across the country. Voter suppression in North Carolina, the GOP arguing that voting is un-American, specifically early voting, but they're trying to argue that voting is un-American. Go figure. Trying to argue that (laughs) the, the Constitution and the Declaration were written by God, even though I believe Thomas Jefferson wasn't exactly in that camp, but their new, the newest immigration reform from the GOP, let millions stay here in this country, but just not be able to vote, so essentially indentured servitude, that's what they want. Make sure that uh, the top state elections um, have a GOP bias, they'd like that, they'd like any election referees to just be in their camp uh, for the lobbyists and the super-rich, and these are the sort of things that we talk about on the show. Your issues of importance, I will definitely talk about, you just let me know. Uh 415-550-0511. You can also email me if you're listening to the show later on the podcast. The Stranger. That's me. The Stranger at Earthling.net. Earthling, because I'm totally uh from this planet. Now, there are other inequities that it really bothers me to talk about, but of course I'm going to. Um and this is actually uh, there, this is a mix good and bad news. Of course, uh, Michael Dunn, the Florida man who fired into a car floor, full of teenagers, unarmed teenagers, killing one because he was standing his ground against their loud music. I didn't know that when you were standing your ground, your ground meant public space because they were coming out of a convenience store. I didn't know that was his ground and not those teenagers. And uh, I didn't know that standing your ground meant that you could get in your vehicle and chase them as they're trying to drive away from you and fire into the vehicle. Now, he was found guilty of attempted murder of the teens who survived and then found not guilty of the first degree murder charge of 17-year-old Jordan Davis who did die. So now a lot of people are saying, oh, well, look at the bright side. He was found, he'll probably be in prison for a long time because of those other charges. Um, yeah, there is a principle here. You can't set a precedent that you can just get away with shooting someone because of their loud music. And part of it was that the prosecutor opted for first degree instead of second degree or manslaughter. And they are, here's the really good news. The prosecutors are going to try that charge again in May and they're able to do it because uh, I guess it was a mistrial. It wasn't, um, I, I, I misspoke. He wasn't found not guilty. He was, um, there was a mistrial on that charge and he was found guilty on the other charges. The law is weird, man. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't become a lawyer. Um, But, uh, yeah, the recent verdicts sparked nationwide debate on racism in this criminal case, just as it did with the George Zimmerman case one year ago and uh, the controversial stand-your-ground laws. But, uh, hey, I'm sure that those stand-your-ground laws... The country will come around on that real soon, won't they? Now, in most self-defense cases, you have to make an attempt to get away and not chase the person down. Um, But in Florida, there's no such requirement. You can do that. You just fire at anyone in self-defense. And uh, these stand-your-ground laws are on the books in more than 20 states. Now, what was an obvious case of stand-your-ground in Florida, um, Michael Giles, this is a U.S. airman, was sentenced to 25 years in a Florida prison for shooting a man who was attacking him in the leg. That's right, he didn't actually kill the guy. He got 25 years for shooting the guy in the leg, which is what I think everyone should do if not kill the person, right? Don't kill the person, just try to stop them if you have to shoot at all, Uh, which, you know. But this guy, he made a call. He's like, I'm standing my ground, I'm shooting the leg, and he got sentenced, uh, even though he was just leaving his, uh, you know, residence. Now... Could be because this guy was black, the, the shooter in this case. And if you look at the statistics, people who are white and argue stand your ground get a, uh, get acquitted much more often, at uh, a much higher rate than people who are black and try to use stand your ground. It's interesting. Why that disparity, I wonder. I guess it's probably just a coincidence, right? Now, and if you have any question that there is some problem with racism in this country, just whenever an unarmed black teenager is shot and killed or something like this, something in that realm happens, just go to Twitter and read some of the tweets. I'm not gonna read them, they're horrifying. But there's just all these things that black people are not allowed to do in this country safely without threat of being shot uh, or harassed by police, stopped in frisks, I mean, they can't just, go on a snack run to 7-Eleven, or listen to loud music, as we know, or wear a hoodie, because those are all suspicious activities deserving of execution. Drive in their car with a white girl, they can be assaulted for that. Appear in public in New York City, the police will assault them. They can't walk on the wrong side of the street, apparently. Wait for the school bus, because sometimes that's suspicious. Drink iced tea in a parking lot. Seek help after a car accident, we talked about that case uh, last year. Uh, Inspect their own car or property. Uh, Police shot a man for doing that. Show up at their job. I believe that was in Florida, too. Uh, There was a police uh, department profiling someone for showing up to his job. Um, Kindergartner who threw a temper tantrum. Had police respond. Buying clothes at an upscale uh, place like Barney's or Macy's. That is suspicious. Buying clothes. How could what? Uh, Be a 13-year-old. Enter your own home or, as we know here in the Bay Area, Lay down in handcuffs and get shot in the back. That is that is the reality that they face in this country. I'm gonna go to some music and calm down. Here's Led Zeppelin, the ocean. Something to think about.
3: Behind her, her fiery green gown sneers at the grassy ground. Blue, all the life giving waters take for granted. They quietly understand. Once happy turquoise, armies lay opposite, ready. Trophies of war and ribbons of euphoria. Orange is young, full of daring, but very unsteady for the first go round. My yellow in this case is not so mellow. In
2: fact, I'm trying to say it's frightened like me. And all of these emotions of mine keep tolling me from giving my life to a rainbow. He knows everything.
4: But, Jimmy, Jimi Hendrix, and you are listening to the Stranger in a Strange Land podcast hear live streaming at muniradio.fm. Gonna give you the new website, muniradio.fm, and uh, also the podcast It's all over the web, The Stranger in a Strange Land, so... Uh, yeah. Little Charles Mingus, this song is called No Private Income Blues. And what better music to play while we talk about the economy well? Research, just uh, the end of last month, came out revealing that the wealth gap is bigger than anyone thought and growing. Oxfam's new report, Working for the Few, it's getting a lot of attention. Uh, the biggest news is that the combined wealth of only 85 people, the world's richest 85 people, comes in at $110 trillion. That's over $10 trillion each. Uh, equivalent to that, think about this, this is... 85 people have the same amount of money As the poorest half of the world 3.5 billion B That's with a B Billion people The wealth gap in the United States Is greater than just about Every other developed country uh, The uh, Oxfam report says Only Chile, Mexico, and Turkey are worse So we're the fourth worst Of the developed countries Ooh, we're in the top four uh, For income inequality And um, Yeah, it's pretty sad. Now, the thing about this is it's it's getting a lot of attention, which is good. The in- inequality issue is uh, actually starting to appear on the radar of gatherings like the World Economic Forum, pages of the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times. This is a new admission for the rich to see this, and they're feeling threatened. In fact, last month, I'm sure you heard about this, Tom, Tom Perkins, a hyper-wealthy libertarian venture capitalist, right-wing kind of rich guy, uh, writing in... Believe uh, what paper was it? Uh, yes, the San Francisco Chronicle. When I tell you about this this city, this uh, liberal, progressive city, um, wrote that there are parallels between what the progressives are doing talking about the one percent and what nazi germany was doing to the jews yeah that's right the progressive war on the poor american one percent the rich the poor rich i mean they have no power they have no resources this they're, they're victims right it's exactly the same the occupy movement when they were getting pepper sprayed in the face Real, when, and, and when police were hitting them in the gut and busting their skulls in and uh, their eye sockets that was that was actually the equivalent of with what those protesters did to the, by to the rich by doing that was like putting them in the ovens that's that's pretty much what he's saying he's saying it was crystal knocked is what he actually said and uh, I'm not going to read his whole idiotic perspective but this is exactly the skewed perspective the 85 people who now own as much wealth as 3 3.5 billion they aren't the winners They're the persecuted, being exterminated by Hitler. Now, I don't know if you know about the concept of Godwin's Law. This is the idea that it's also known as uh, reductio ad hitlerum because it's like reductio ad absurdum. It's absurd. And as soon as someone is losing an argument, if the argument goes on long enough, usually on the internet, then they will resort to Hitler or Nazis because they don't have any other way of winning the argument. And that has become the new standard. In fact, Tom Perkins is not the first person to do this. Back in 2010, billionaire Steven Schwartzman said about a, t- a proposal to tax his private equity income, not even more, just at the same rate as everyone else's taxes. That's all. Just. At the same egalitarian, he said, "It's a war. It's like when Hitler invaded Poland in 1939." Those are his exact words. I, maybe I made it sound a little more excitable, but those were his words. Supermarket mogul John Katzmata said, "Katzmata, I don't know how to say it." In 2012, uh, of of tax increase proposals, Hitler punished the Jews. We can't have we can't have punishing the two percent group right now. I don't know where you got the 2% from, but... Meanwhile, the anti-tax activist lobbyist who made all the Republicans sign a pledge to not raise taxes, Grover Norquist, insists that the Nazis were for a higher marginal tax rate. And you know, you're, you're right, that's what made them bad. That's the one... When I think Nazi, I think, man, that higher marginal tax rate that they were in favor of, that was the problem. That's the problem with Nazis. Really? Is that what you, That's what you think, Grover Norquist? Hmm. AIG CEO Robert Ben Moishi declared that anger over his bailed out company's bonuses were, quote, just as bad as lynchings of African Americans in the Jim Crow South. I want, to, I want to repeat the first part of that because the second part is really, you know, inflammatory, but the thing that he's mad about, the thing that he said that about, was that when his company was his company's bonuses for the executives at the top, that's what they got bailed out by our tax dollars. And we got angry about it because those are our tax dollars that bailed out their unnecessarily large bonuses. When we got angry, that, our anger, was what was just as bad in his mind as lynchings. So this is where they they are, and the reason they feel this way is because they feel they're losing. They have advisors and economists and people telling the wealthy, And Increasing their anxiety uh, That moods against them Even globally are turning against The super rich and that ultimately could prove Very hard to control Uh, Even with the Republicans And the Democrats and Obama On their side hey they're starting to pivot Onto this income inequality track You had the Occupy movement a couple Years ago you even have the Pope now Speaking out against the dangers of wealth Concentration at the top you have people Accurately pointing out that all you're Doing is hoarding you're not putting it in the environment. You're not You're not putting it back into the economy or the environment. You're not creating jobs. You're not spending it. You're not, you're not starting new businesses. You're hoarding trillions of dollars to no one's benefit. And uh, they feel they're in deep, deep trouble. Maybe not today, but soon. Uh, with the 30 richest Americans owning as much as half of of the poorest U.S. population. So about, eh, you know, kind of similar to the world numbers. The bottom half of America owns a smaller percentage of the national wealth than almost all other countries and continents. The 1.1% of America's wealth owned by the poorest half is less than the poorer halves in other countries. So in Asia, I'm sorry, in North America, it's compared to Asia, Africa, Latin America, India, the United Kingdom, China. We're worse off, actually. Our poor are worse. Now, I want to say that's percentage-wise. A lot of those countries, the poor, have much less resources and money or clean water. So that's important to point out. But uh, we're getting, relative to our richest in this country, we're getting screwed more. Uh, There's less mobility. So when they have this, conservatives have this argument that, you know, you can just improve your situation with hard work and opportunity. Well, actually... um, (laughs) Research has shown that economic mobility is lower in the US than in most other developed countries and lower than in some undeveloped countries. America's middle class is further from the top. You know, hey, middle class, keep fighting the poor. Poor and middle class should fight each other and not focus on the rich, right? Because middle class, you can become rich someday. You're just so close. Actually, the middle class is further from the top than all. Developed countries They're the, That's the farthest gap And extreme inequality means that People without homes are freezing to death uh, I mean Children are not able to get food And the stock market grew By 4.7 trillion dollars Last year Hey you know how much it would cost To get give every homeless person Shelter for a year For 365 days 4 billion So you still have 0.7 trillion Left over I'm sorry. No, you'd have. I I did the numbers wrong. That's 4.7 trillion versus 4 billion. So you'd have plenty left over. You'd have uh, 4. What six something something trillion left over, and everyone would be able to have a home for a year. That's only if you uh, just taxed a tiny percent uh, out of out of that those stock market earnings in one year. Now. This is the class war, when we talk about class warfare, it is not the people being pepper sprayed or the people starving in the street that are waging class warfare, okay? <laughs> who are the real perpetrators of this, right? Is it the restaurant owners fighting a tiny r- raise a minimum wage for their tipped workers who, as we know, tipped workers have incredibly low wages? Is it Apple and Google, who we now know conspired and colluded to keep their wages low? Or is it, worst of all, the Koch brothers, who have secretly been keeping their donors uh, hidden away. It just recently did come out that we know who they are, which is awesome. Um, Someone just left the... uh the list of donors out in public and then we found out who they were and actually I have to give a tiny amount of uh, credit to Harry Reid here because he got into it uh a couple weeks ago and and really called them out and said look these these are not nonprofits. these are not social welfare groups Th- this is what citizen united has done citizen united has allowed them to put all of this stuff towards the political process and we have two brothers who are trying to buy the entire country and spending their dollars on governor races the state level huge amounts of money around the country to defeat their uh, rivals in the house and senate and um hiding all of their efforts and it's disgusting it's enormous amounts of money that they're spending to buy our political process and as a country we keep subsidizing the rich we keep giving them kickbacks where does the real welfare go it goes to them if you want to look at the larger number of it and and i gotta say even though i just gave a little credit to harriet Reid. Democrats love these Super PACs and Citizens United just as much as the Republicans do. So, uh, make no mistake about it. Now, the Republicans on the the other hand, are a little worse because they are actively trying to cut all of your benefits. They actually passed a farm bill that cut food stamps by $8 billion. When we could get that money easily, as I've just told you, (laughs) they cut food stamps and at the same time they didn't even save any money because they expanded corporate farm welfare. This mostly goes to large corporate farms, not small mom and pop farms. So do not let them lie to you about that. Seven billion dollars. So they cut food stamps by eight billion for the poor and then gave corporations seven billion. Hey, look, they saved a billion dollars. Fox News, meanwhile, uh, on the, just on a quick aside about food stamps, was lying, lying, liar, liar, fucking pants on fire saying that in Colorado, now that pot is legal, they people can use food stamps to buy pot. No, it's completely not true. It was one person that said, hey, what if they could do this? And then the next minute, you know they could do this? It's completely, they are lying to you. And one last thought on what we could do as a country, uh, aside from some of the other proposals that have been mentioned and that, you know, we, we talk about on the show and I'll go into, I'll talk about some more later, but uh, you know, we could have public banks. We don't need private banks. I'm not even saying you would socialize all of them, okay? Um, before I start getting phone calls at 415-5500-511 or emails at thestranger at um, Calling me a Maoist and all that. Listen, I just think we should have both options, the private option and the public option and see what the free market decides. Cause I know what I would, I know where I'd put my money and uh, it's not where my mouth is. I guess it is. I don't, I don't really know what that metaphor means. Uh, we're gonna listen to some music and we're gonna come back and tell you what's going on here at the station. We're having a lot of fun. So um a little jazzy, a little folk so from the 60s. Here comes Donovan and, uh, and some other stuff. You'll just like surprised. Listen to The Stranger in a Strange Land on Mutiny.
3: song Me so night after sleepless night I walk the floor and I want to know why am I so alone Where is my woman? Can I bring her home? Have I driven her away? Is she gone? the sunrise and I'm driven to my bed I see that it is empty and there's devils in my head I embrace the many colored beast I grow weary of the torment can there be no peace and I catch myself just wishing that my life would simply cease
4: there you go of course little Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young one of my favorites 4 and 20 and uh even though that song really doesn't literally describe where I was at 24 it's kind of a it's kind of kind of just feels, feels like that part of your life, you know, a little felonious monk with Bimsha swing as we tell you what events are going on here. Now, Hey, you know, speaking of, uh, possible solutions to all this economic inequality, there's a great documentary out called inequality for all, uh, by former labor secretary, economics professor from Berkeley, Robert Reich, brilliant mind. I mean, we've reported, I've, quoted his articles and played his audio from his uh blog um robert dot org i believe robert reich just come up um he's great and uh he has this movie and i've seen it it's wonderful you should see it in fact you can see it here at mutiny radio next thursday february, tw- february 27th at 6 p.m and we're gonna be part of these watch parties that they're organizing and uh excuse me he's uh he himself, Robert Reich, is going to be on a conference call with the watch party so we can ask questions. Uh, the other thing we're going to do, so that's next uh, Thursday at 6 p.m. I would highly recommend you come. If you want to have your own watch party, you can go on uh, his website and do that as well. And um, the other thing we're doing that's really cool is the Young Turks. Um, I know a lot of you guys watch the Young Turks. They're the largest uh, web news show um, ever, and um, they are having different meetups in different cities, and the one for San Francisco is here at Mutiny Radio, first Tuesday of every month, 7 p.m., so uh, check that out. Now, tomorrow, or today, depending on your perspective, here at Mutiny, uh, Sugar, whose uh, monthly show is, you know, you gotta catch it, it's, it's only once a month, and then it's going to wait for next month, uh, she's on uh, 6 to 8 p.m. with The Genie, an eclectic artist working with a slide guitar, pedals, making live music right on the spot, his collaboration with many local artists has been growing for a decade. Mini Radio and Sugar is proud to have Genie for a free show only for you San Francisco and Bay Area peeps, so come on down. The other cool thing, too, I want to mention is, um, you know, we're going to spotlight different shows every week. Diamond Dave. Diamond Dave Whitaker, you know him, you love him, and the Common Thread Collective every Friday. Uh, come on down here. There is an open mic for beat poets. I never know when I'm going to come here. Sometimes it's like s- some kind of... Um, Roma music with like you know, accordion, and, and folk, and violin, and sometimes it's like, you know, freestyle hip-hop, and other times they're just reading like, old poetry from the 50s, and sometimes they're they're chanting. I mean, we we, we were very active during the uh, Occupy Wall, or, well, here, Occupy San Francisco protests, and uh, speaking of which, they mention him on their website, Occupy Wall Street, um, they, which they have some events coming up, so also tomorrow, uh, 3 p.m., help protect San Francisco's healthcare security ordinance and uh, fight for single payer. That is at 518 Valencia at 16th Street, two blocks from the 16th Street BART. Uh, They're gonna have David Campos, who's uh, San Francisco Supervisor for District 9, and Health Policy Consultant for the San Francisco Labor Council, Paul Kumar. And uh, of course, the Occupy Forum, over on Mission Street. uh, Yeah, 2017 Mission Street is on Monday from 6 to 9. They have that every week. So um, go check that out. They're going to have an awesome singer-songwriter, David Rovick's voice of the Occupy movement and the opposition. You know, he writes and sings songs about the Iraq war, anti-globalization, Chelsea Manning, other Occupy issues. So go and check that out and lots of other things. And if you're really into uh, the fight for uh, labor politics, um, check out Labor and Love, Labor Love, uh, on Saturday mornings with B- uh, Bill Morgan. That is an awesome show. And uh, it's going to be on uh, a few hours after I'm off. So, you know, after I'm off, tuck in get some sleep wake up early instead of putting on cartoons get your cereal and listen to mutiny radio and i've got a whole bunch of other stuff coming up for you got some international news and politics we're gonna try and make some sense of what's going on because man it's some shit's fucked up i'll go back to some folk music here actually some fun kind of 60s tunes that i've had stuck in my head this past week uh like cat stevens so stay tuned mutiny radio
3: people who've been working
4: time for any of you live listeners out there but these wee hours of the morning it's 415 this is the stranger again and um I, you know i would like your opinions because they might differ on a lot of these things uh there are protests and in some cases riots all over the world unrelated in different countries just people are fed up and i'm not gonna say that i agree with uh all of the protesters or rioters. I mean, some of them are quite violent. Some of them are, uh, you know, right-wing reactionaries. Some of them are uh, extreme left-leftists. Some of them, uh, some of the governments in question, are on the the right or the left. So we'll talk about some of them and uh, what's going on um, in Venezuela. Security forces and demonstrators faced off in the streets burning barricades in several provincial cities and protests escalated after President Nicolas Maduro's socialist government. At least uh, five people have died since the violence broke out and the most serious unrest in Maduro was uh, narrowly, um, or since Maduro was narrowly elected, uh, Last year and there have been lots of injuries and arrests the protesters are mostly students and they want Maduro to resign They blame his government for violent crime kind of ironic that they then go violently protest. Although a lot of that is uh, Security forces shooting into the crowd Um, high inflation product shortages alleged repression of opponents. That's never good I don't care what your political uh, Allegiance is you don't repress your opponents Yeah, you don't. That's not. That's. uh, That just tells me that you believe you're in the wrong. You don't believe your own position strongly enough. And here's another thing that's very telling they're taking away the cameras from journalists at gunpoint. So, uh, yeah, that doesn't sound like the good guys in that situation. Uh, Look, both sides uh, have a bit of angel and demon in them. So. And another one of those very <laughs> kind of a uh, little bit of this, a little bit of that in the Ukraine anti-government protests sparked by anger that president Viktor Yanukovych, <laughs> oh, I'm so man, <laughs> I need to take a class in pronunciation of like Russian names. Viktor Yanukovych was driven, driving the country toward uh, closer ties with Russia. A lot of them want to be part of the EU or at least closer ties to the West. These, uh, This anger has spread and escalated in a state of near national emergency. Now, some of these protesters, it's different groups. Some of them are uh, liberal, and and some are pro-West, and some are pro-Russia, and some are right-wing, and some are reactionary, and some are just straight out pro-fascistic and uh it's very scary what's going on there um they spread out from the capital of kiev and have brought tens of thousands into the streets uh two people at least have died um a 55 year old man was found hanging they don't know if that's you know some sort of statement something symbolic um, of the protest this was in one of the squares of kiev and his cause of death is not fully known Yanukovych and his uh, supporters argue that his political opposition have spurred protesters on to occupy government buildings, claiming that uh, the optics of a popular uprising is in fact a mask for a centrally directed coup. Is it, or is he just saying that so he can justify the violence uh, back against the protesters? Meanwhile, in uh, the Ukraine's Burkut riot police have been violent and fierce brutally beating protesters and, um... What's really going on in the Ukraine is is uh, really interesting. I mean, Yanukovych had already been in a treaty agreement, or had, was ready to sign one to uh, with the EU, and then pulled out, did a 180 at the last minute, uh, deciding not to join. And that's what made people angry, and um, decided to be friendly with Putin. Uh, and as a result you know to get favorable treatment from the russian government and protesters think that this this would benefit ordinary people to be more aligned with the eu and uh its economic powers than um Yanukovych, who basically is only represented by the corrupt interests of the rich in Russia. And so, while that violence um, did move away from the capital, the Russian state, Duma, uh, recently passed a resolution slamming foreign politicians and anyone interfering in those uh, uh, affairs while Russia itself was interfering, and the EU, and... uh (laughs) the United States embarrassingly uh things coming out about how we talk about the EU behind its back for example and uh the US adopted a stance which which hints at another planned regime change and uh you know of course there've been violent riots and uh, people throwing torches and invading government buildings and uh Certainly, the police are not any better. There's reports that the government itself is instigating violence, as are reports in many of these countries. Meanwhile, in Brazil, the situation uh, is an important reflection of anger against the uh, austerity and neoliberal politics as they're bringing in the World Cup. Uh, these sporting events, there, uh, with, while they're not political, are showing how uh, you know they, they want to just pretty things up and then ignore what the priced-out locals and what's, you know, the poverty in that country. And so they are saying, you know, we would rather, as much as we love soccer in Brazil, we would rather not have the World Cup at the expense of clean drinking water. How about that? In Thailand, hundreds of thousands of protesters blocked polling stations uh, over the weekend. The country's election commission stated that the contentious vote would be postponed until next month, and Reuters summed up the protest context. They're the latest chapter in the political conflict that has gripped the country for eight years, pitting the middle class of Bangkok and protesters from the south against the poorer supporters. You guys, middle class should not fight the poor. You are not that far apart. You have more in common than you do with the guys at the top. The latest violence is likely to add to Thailand Thailand's deepening political divide, with increasing fears of civil war and military intervention. So... Uh, Frightening stuff all around the world, and um, I'm not saying that this is the right way to go about change But uh, I'm also not gonna judge your situation because when people are up against the wall Sometimes the only way out of the corner is to fight. That's I'm I'm not endorsing it. It's just a reality. It's a fact and uh, It's certainly more justifiable than the rampant random violence that state actors take against civilians. In fact, after five years uh, of after Obama's first drone strike, the U.S. is still avoiding the legal responsibility for civilian casualties. And um, total drone deaths in Pakistan have topped 2,000 and uh, Pentagon officials are still reticent to really uh, talk about what's going on. A lot of that stuff is done in secret. I mean, most of it's done in secret. And um, they're talking about launching another drone strike on an American citizen overseas. Associated Press's Kimberly Dozier reports that the Obama administration is divided over whether or not they should kill an American citizen. You know, it might be bad optics. It just might not look good. Um, They say he's accused of planning attacks on Americans, but they can't give you any more than that because that would, they can't really tell you why they're going to kill him or what what threat he might pose because that, of course, would be a threat to national security. So they might kill another American. And here's the thing. You, these may be bad guys. The four Americans that have already been killed, although one of them was uh, Anwar al-Lawaki's son, who we don't know had any, they still can't give us any reason why he needed to be killed at all. Um, it's just his teenage son. Um, other than being a oh, But even, even the ones that you could say are bad guys, they're American citizens. And first of all, I, I don't think we should be using these drones at all. It's excessive force. It doesn't uh, control. It isn't in within the constraints of international law, but he, as an American citizen, it's far outside constitutional law when you don't give them due process. Due process, you remember that? Remember that thing? I mean, are we living in a post-constitutional America where the president could just declare you a threat enough to have you assassinated anyways without a trial by robotic death from above or special ops team? There's a lot of things we don't know about how these drones work and what's going on. I mean, who's being targeted, it's very shaky, especially with the signature strikes and just, you know, if you're in the general vicinity of looking like maybe you're the right gender and age of someone who could be a terrorist kind of thing. And we don't, they never tell us what constitutes an imminent threat. Like this new person who's unnamed that they, is an American citizen that they might kill. We don't know anything about him. How how much of a threat is, is he, if at all? We don't, Congress doesn't really have any oversight. There's no one that really knows what's going on. We don't, They. I mean, we don't know if civil, civilian casualties are avoided, it doesn't seem like so. And why is the count always off that the government gives than what like journalists and, and uh, health organizations and human rights organizations give? So that's weird. So we just don't know how they justify these things. And uh, I'm sorry, it's just not consistent. With the law of of war Which is kind of an oxymoron (laughs) War is lawless But the law of war Um, You know I This is a moral debate And if you say I would just like to have This moral debate on certain issues Especially when we're talking international politics And people who are being Exploded or murdered Or subjugated Or segregated in various countries, uh, whether they're our allies or our enemies or our secret enemies, um, they say, oh, well, you're not being serious. If you're just not all rah, 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 security state, whatever they say go, you know, hawk, the hawks say go, you're just not, that's not serious. It's like, no, no. I want to have the moral debate about it. And and, uh, we can disagree, but we need to have that debate. So, we go to this. Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer, you hear the chaos there. Representing the chaos in the Ukraine, because uh, part of this is the great gates of Kiev. That's instrumental here. Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer. When we come back, we're going to talk about the security state. We're going to talk about the National Security Agency. So we always say for the end of the show. So stay tuned. Meet radio. Palmer, and now we're gonna play a few uh, strange breaks behind us with uh, this mixed by Mr. Thang. As we talk about those strange eyes surrounding you, the men in black trench coats watching you, analyzing your every thought, hope, dream, political leaning, belief, opinion. Well, another uh, civilian employee of the National Security Agency has resigned his position, admitting he helped Edward Snowden get some of that classified, those sweet, sweet, classical classified jams off of their servers. And uh, we don't know his name, but uh, it has been verified that this is true. Obtained by NBC News and published online. And uh, speaking of Edward Snowden himself... Well, Attorney General Eric Holder, while ruling out the possibility of clemency for the whistleblower, did say maybe they could uh, work out a plea deal of some kind, some sort, as
2: There's
4: only one thing I have to say about that. It is a trap, and don't fall for it, Edward Snowden. You stay out out of the country because lots. Of intelligence officials have made direct threats on his life, and he's aware of that. Um, Meanwhile, Representative Mike Rogers, Republican from Michigan, has been very unhappy about those leaks. A lot of the hawks out there are. And uh, he's actually claimed that uh, Glenn Greenwald, the journalist who is, you know, edward Snowden is the source for has published the stories to everyone free of charge he says for personal gain he's selling his access to the information that's how they're terming it rogers told politico after hearing about it a thief selling stolen material is a thief uh That is a dumb sentence. Of course, Glenn Greenwald, who is giving information out free of charge on the internet uh, and choosing which information to, by the way, he's vetting it for its national security um, threat. Um, He's denied ever selling any documents, so I wouldn't worry about it. Um, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper actually has admitted that they really should have disclosed more about this collection program back in 2003, more than a decade ago. You think, you you think you might have? Maybe that's why you're in trouble now? This is, by the way, the same joke organization that the NSA, that once banned Furbies as a threat to national security. Furbies, you know? Osama Bin Laden's going to be using a Furby back back then. Um... And of course, now the not the not so lighthearted thing is that uh, the new Snowden doc re- uh, revelations are that they're, sp- of course, they were. They're spying on WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, anyone who uses the Pirate Bay or other torrent sharing. I mean, of course they were. It, that's that I just assumed after hearing some of the other more. Infl- I'm surprised He waited this long to reveal that one. Um, a UK court has because. Uh, Glenn Greenwald's partner, um, David Miranda, was detained uh, at an airport at the request of the United States. They are now trying to link journalism with terrorism with a new statute so they could detain people who are journalists as terrorists. Didn't we say this would happen? We said this would happen. If you're a journalist and they don't like it, you're a terrorist because why not? all these injustices and outrages, I mean, the NSA, though, knows they can only push it so far and they're in trouble. We actually have Republicans, some Republicans, calling for a halt to unconstitutional surveillance programs. The Republican National Committee passed a resolution encouraging lawmakers to take action to halt current unconstitutional surveillance programs and provide full public knowing the NSA's data collection programs. Now, midterm elections are coming up right and they know how unpopular all this is so i'm sure this is all game has there are some people who actually do genuinely and have always genuinely uh, been opposed to this uh senator mark udall uh, uh ron wyden uh, martin heinrich they're not all democrats uh i mean those three i listed were but there are some republicans uh jim sensenbrenner who said that you know he, who's one of the authors of the patriot act by the way he says he's against it now they've twisted it And it's not at all what it was intended to be And in Maine, a woman named Shinnah Bellows Who is a former director for that state's ACLU chapter Is running for Senate And she is very opposed on civil liberties grounds To the NSA's uh, horrible abridgment of of civil rights. Now, the there was a report that came out and though it was largely divided on party lines, this White House and Congress approved board report, the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board, the club government's metadata collection program they said, quote, lacks a viable legal foundation under section 215, implicates constitutional concerns under the first and fourth amendments, raises serious threats to privacy and civil liberties as a policy, and has shown this is the main, I mean, that's all important, but here's the main thing, shows only limited value. It doesn't really get any good results, because how do you have people sifting through all that data, looking for needles and haystacks? As a result, the board recommends that the government end the program this damning report makes it clear that the piss poor sad reforms that the obama administration proposed just wouldn't go far enough and they raise serious questions about the legality of the program and even just scant evidence that it's effective in its anti-terror goals which we've also been talking about a lot on here it's just it's it's not moral and it's not constitutional and it doesn't even work I don't even know why they want it. It's more unnecessary. You couldn't go through it in a life in several lifetimes. Now, it was an open letter. Uh, A group of the country's top computer scientists, 50 prominent American computer scientists, signed an open letter urging the United States to reject mass surveillance and preserve privacy. And uh, we now have all, you know, so this this oversight board, all these different uh, groups and organizations, and even some people in Congress are not happy about it. Will that sway Attorney General Eric Holder and President Obama? nope (laughs) they have disagreed with the findings of the oversight board uh, released uh, let's see Uh, yeah, just uh, last month, and uh, have said at least 15 judges on 35 occasions have said the program itself is legal. You know, a lot of other judges said it wasn't. Holder said, I think that those other judges, those 15 judges, got it right. So, the judges that agree with us got it right, the ones that disagree. And they said, we simply disagree. Dude, you can have your own opinions. This is like a a great man said. Well, that's just like your opinion, man. But you can't have your own facts. Well, there is one small victory. A federal judge has decided for the first time that someone being charged as, uh, as a terrorism suspect, his defense team is actually allowed to look at the evidence against him from the secret FISA court, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court. So before they weren't, you, your defense attorneys weren't even allowed to look at the evidence uh, and, and the, a lot of the stuff that the court was finding against your client, secret courts. We have secret courts in this country That happens uh, Now even if this person's a terrorist Hey They still should have due process We gave the Nazis due process So uh, Look while the court is mindful of the fact That no court has ever allowed the disclosure Of FISA materials to the defense In this case the, the judge wrote The court finds that the disclosure May be necessary It might be oh, well, generous. Now Man, I better land as, much as I love this music in the background right here, uh, there's something really important I wanted to play for you. That um, let's see if I have time. Oh, I do. I do. I play this for you. Um, this is an interview on German television with uh, Ed- Edward Snowden. Uh, he's very soft-spoken, very intelligent, and I don't know if you've ever really heard his words before. So I'm going to play this for you, and um, we, maybe I'll come back and talk about it. Maybe we'll just go back to some music. But uh, if you want to get in on the conversation, uh, not with Edward Snowden, but with me, number is 415 four one five 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 zero zero five one one. Um, and here he is, here's Edward Sidney.
1: ...the situation with the NSA, not only in America, but also in Germany and in Brazil. And President Obama was forced to go public and to justify what the NSA was doing on legal
0: grounds. What we saw initially in response to the revelations was sort of a circling of the wagons uh, of government around the National Security Agency. Instead of circling around the public, and protecting their rights, the political class circled around the security state uh, and protected their rights. What's interesting is, though that was the initial response, since then we've seen a softening we've seen the president acknowledge that when he first said we've drawn the right balance there are no abuses we've seen him and his officials admit that there have been abuses there have been thousands of violations of the national security agency and other agencies uh, authorities every single year is the speech of obama recently the beginning of a serious regulation it was clear from the president's speech that he wanted to make minor changes to preserve authorities that we don't need the president created a review board from officials that were personal friends uh, from national security insiders former deputy of the cia people who had every incentive to be soft on these programs and to see them in the best possible light. But what they found was that these programs have no value. They've never stopped a terrorist attack in the United States. And they have marginal utility at best for other things. The only thing that the uh, Section 215 phone metadata program, actually it's a broader metadata program, a bulk collection, bulk collection means mass surveillance, program was in stopping or detecting $8,500 wire transfer from a cab driver in California. And it's this kind of review where insiders go, we don't need these programs. These programs don't make us safe. They take a tremendous amount of resources to run, uh, and they offer us no value. They go, we can modify these. The National Security Agency operates under the president's executive authority alone. He can end or modify or direct a change in their policies at any
1: time. For the first time, President Obama did concede that the NSA collects and stores trillions of data.
0: Every time you pick up the phone, uh, dial a number, write an email, make a purchase, uh, travel on the bus carrying a cell phone, uh, swipe a card somewhere, you leave a trace. And the government has decided that... It's a good idea to collect it all, everything, even if you've never been suspected of any crime. Traditionally, uh, the government would identify a suspect. They would go to a judge. They would say, we suspect he's committed this crime. Uh, They would get a warrant. And then they would be able to use the totality of their powers in pursuit of the investigation. Nowadays, what we see is they want to apply the totality of their powers in advance, prior to an investigation. You started this debate.
1: Edward Snowden is in the meantime a household name for the whistleblower in the age of the internet. You were working till last summer for the NSA and during this time you collected secretly thousands of confidential documents. What was the decisive moment or was there a long period of time or something happening, why did you do this?
0: I would say sort of the the breaking point is seeing the director of national intelligence, James Clapper, um, directly lie under oath to Congress. Um, there's there's no saving an intelligence community that believes it can lie to the public and the legislators who need to be able to trust it and regulate its actions. Seeing that really meant for me there was no going back. Beyond that, uh, It was the creeping realization that no one else was going to do this. The public had a right to know about these programs. The public had a right to know that which the government is doing uh, in its name and that which the government is doing against the public. Uh, but neither of these things uh, we were allowed to discuss, we were allowed to know. Even the wider body of our elected representatives were prohibited from knowing or discussing these, uh, these programs, and that's a dangerous thing. The only, uh, the only review we had was from a secret court, the FISA court, which is a sort of rubber stamp authority. When you are on the inside, when you go into work every day, when you sit down at the desk and you realize the power you have You can wiretap the President of the United States. You can wiretap a federal judge. And if you do it carefully, no one will ever know because the only way the NSA discovers abuses are from self-reporting. We
1: are not talking only of the NSA as far as this is concerned. There is a multilateral agreement for cooperation among the services, And this alliance of intelligence operations is known as the Five Eyes. What agencies and countries belong to this alliance and what is its purpose? The
0: Five Eyes Alliance is sort of an artifact of the post-World War II era, where the Anglophone countries of the major powers banded together to sort of cooperate and share the costs of intelligence gathering infrastructure. So we have the UK's GCHQ. We have the US NSA, uh, we have Canada's CSEC, we have the Australian Signals Intelligence Directorate, uh, and we have New Zealand's DSD. What the result of this was over decades and decades was sort of a supranational intelligence organization that doesn't answer to the laws of its own countries. In many countries, as in America too, the agencies
1: like the NSA are not allowed to spy within their own borders on their own people. So the Brits, for example, they can spy on everybody but the Brits. But the NSA can contact surveillance in England. So at the very end, they could exchange their data and it would be They would be strictly following the law.
0: If you asked the governments about this directly, they would deny it uh, and point to policy agreements between the members of the Five Eyes, saying that they won't spy on each other's citizens. Uh, but there are a couple key points there. One is that the way they define spying is not the collection of data. Uh, the GCHQ is collecting an incredible amount of data on British citizens, just as the National Security Agency is gathering enormous amount of data on U.S. citizens. What they're saying is that they will not then target people within that data, they won't look for UK citizens or British citizens. In addition, the policy agreements between them that say British won't target US citizens, US won't target uh, British citizens, are not legally binding. Uh, The actual memorandums of agreement state specifically on that, that they're not intended to uh, put a legal restriction on any government. They're policy agreements that can be deviated from or broken at any time. So if they wanna spy on a British citizen, they can spy on a British citizen. And then they can even share that data with the British government that is itself forbidden from spying on UK citizens. So there is a sort of a trading dynamic there, but it's uh, it's not open, it's more of a nudge and a wink. And beyond that, the key is to remember that the surveillance and the abuse doesn't occur when people look at the data. It occurs when people gather the data in the first place. How narrow is the cooperation of the German
1: Secret Service BND with the NSA and the Five Eyes?
0: I would describe it as intimate. Uh, As a matter of fact, the first way I described it in our written interview was that uh, the German services and the U.S. services are in bed together. They not only share uh, information, the reporting, the results from intelligence, but they actually share the tools and the infrastructure. They work together against joint targets um, and services. And there's a lot of danger in this. Uh, one of the major uh, programs that, that face abuse in the national security agency is what's called X-Key Score. It's a front-end search engine that allows them to look through all of the records they collect through worldwide every day.
1: What could you do if you would sit, so to speak, on their place with this kind of instrument?
0: You could read anyone's email in the world, Uh, anybody you've got an email address for, Uh, any website you can watch traffic to and from it, any computer uh, that an individual sits at, you can watch it. Any laptop that you're tracking, uh, you can follow it as it moves from place to place throughout the world. It's a one-stop shop for access to the NSA's information. Um, And what's more, you can tag individuals using X-Keyscore where, let's say I saw you once and I thought what you were doing was interesting, uh, or you just have access that's interesting to me. Let's say you work at a major German corporation and I want access to that network. Uh, I can track your username on a website, on a forum somewhere. Uh, I can track your real name. I can track associations with your friends. And I can build what's called a fingerprint, Mm -hmm. which is network activity unique to you, which means anywhere you go in the world, anywhere you try to sort of hide your online presence, hide your identity, the NSA can find you. And anyone who's allowed to use this or who the NSA shares the software with, can do the same thing. Germany is one of the countries that has access to X-Keyscore. It sounds rather frightening. The question is, does the BND
1: deliver data of Germans to the NSA?
0: Whether the BND does it directly uh, or knowingly, the NSA gets German data. Um, Whether it's provided, uh, I can't speak to until it's been reported, because it would be classified. And I prefer that journalists make the distinctions uh, and the decisions about what is public interest and what should be published. However, it's no secret that every country in the world has uh, the data of their citizens in the NSA. Millions and millions and millions of data connections from Germans going about their daily lives, uh, talking on their cell phones, sending SMS messages, visiting websites, buying things online, all of this ends up at the NSA. And it's reasonable to suspect that the BND may be aware of it in some capacity. Now, whether or not they actively provide the information, I.